We began our sermon series through the book of Romans a couple of weeks ago, and we're working our way through Paul's introduction. <clears throat> it's in the first seven verses. So in, in Romans 1, verses 1 through 7, I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray once again. So Heavenly Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And who we are not, make us. In Christ's name I pray, and for his sake, amen. Amen. So the last two weeks we've been looking at the writer of, of this book. We've been looking at, at Saul, also known as Paul. And uh, last week we looked at Paul the bondservant. We talked about uh, the, the Greek word and, and how it means slave. So Paul, a, a slave of Jesus Christ, and and uh, today, uh, just for a moment, uh, I want us to look at Paul called to be an apostle. Uh, Paul who has received grace and apostleship. And I, I suppose we start out by just asking the question and getting a definition. What is an apostle or who is an apostle? And if you take just the general sense of the word apostle, it means one sent, uh, uh, commissioned, one who is sent. So if we take just the broadest sense of the term, we could say that every born-again believer, in that sense, is an apostle because we have been getting, given a commission to go and to witness for Christ and to tell others about Christ. But when we talk about the 13, and, and by that, uh, the the 12, uh, with Messiah replacing Judas uh, and then adding Paul. And uh, some would say we need to, need to add James, the half-brother of Jesus, in here too. That there is a unique commission and authority granted to these men. And I believe to these men alone. Because these are men, if we could go and we read, I didn't put all the scriptures down, but these men were called and appointed directly by Christ himself. And, and perhaps immediately some of you may say, well, wait a minute, what about Matthias? And, and remember when they, had, when they had gathered to replace Judas, what did they do? They picked out several, and then what did they do? Remember, they, 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 they called upon the Lord and, and said, Lord, choose among these your man, 
and, and it says they drew lots. I, I don't know how all that took place, but I know they, they were turning it over to God to choose this one. So chosen by God. We could say that even of Matthias. And, and we know that they were granted the authority to speak for Christ himself. See, there, there's the huge difference. A, a, authority, divine authority to speak on, on mission, on commission from the Lord to speak. And so they could speak with divine authority. Their words were not as mere men. See, when we're reading this letter from Paul, we're, we're not reading just Paul's words. Yes, it is Paul's words, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, you see. In, in Galatians, the first chapter, first verse, Paul, an apostle, Chosen by man? No. Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So, so Paul, as with the other twelve, not chosen by man, but chosen by God to speak on behalf of God with divine authority. If you drop down to verses 10 and 11 in Galatians 1. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. He's speaking on authority of Christ himself. Jesus Christ gave Paul the commission to preach his message, the Lord's message. So it wasn't Paul's message, but Christ's message. Paul called of God for a specific mission. Now, after Paul's encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road, we talked quite a bit about that in the last two sermons, uh, God spoke to Ananias about Paul. And, and let's read that in Acts 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Ananias, said to him, Ananias, go for he, and this was talking of Saul, for he, for Saul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of God. So Paul, Saul, chosen by the Lord. Then, in, in uh, we're going to be going next to Acts 22, but in Acts 21, the unbelieving Jews uh, saw Paul in the temple. and They were enraged when they saw him there. Because in their eyes and in their mind, Paul had been speaking and teaching blasphemy uh, with his words about Christ. So, so what do they do? They drag him outside the temple and, and they're beating him. And they're beating him. And a Roman commander sees what's going on. He takes soldiers down and, and, and they, in the way they rescued Paul. But they put him in chains and they're about to lead uh, Paul away. But Paul is allowed to address the mob. And so here is, is uh, in Acts 22, verses 14 and 15. Then he, then Ananias said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, Saul, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. 
for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, I'll just pull two verses out of there. I'll say this again for your homework. You can go back and read the rest of this and put all the rest of it in there. That This is talking about how Saul was chosen by God, you see. So then, if you go down to Acts 26, Paul retells his conversion story again. This time he's talking to King Agrippa. We talked about this to some degree last week. And I don't know, have you wondered, why did Luke put this in three different times? Because you can read the book of Acts. Okay, you got, you got in the Acts 9, the road to Damascus. Then you got there in, in Acts 22, you, you, you hear uh, Paul telling the story again. And, and then in Acts 26, you hear the story again. It's almost like you get there and say, okay, okay Luke, we get it. Why? Why do you think he would do that? Well, first, he's writing for God and not for men, so we know that the Lord wanted it in there, and I believe it's in there three times so that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that Paul was called by God. Three times we've heard the story. So, so to me, it seems that this, this is putting a stamp on this, that yes, Saul, the one who had done all these terrible things, now called by God. And we get it three different times. Uh, what did he say to Agrippa? Let's look at it in Acts 26, verses 15 through 18. So I said, and again, we're, we're dropping down in the midst of the story. So I, so Saul, so Paul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Let me pause there for just a moment. What was he talking about? He's, he's going to save him for the battles he's going to be in. But because the Jews are going to be after him, the Gentiles are going to be after him, he's going to have a tough go of this. But the Lord says, I'll deliver you. You go. You go and deliver my word. Now, verse 18, uh, he says, deliver this to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, there's the call. There's, there's the, the message for Paul. You know, Saul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, chosen by Christ to deliver the message of Christ that we might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance of eternal life. Aren't you thankful for Apostle Paul? Oh, I am. And, and so as we prepare to receive communion this morning, I want us to, to read and consider the first biblically recorded message of Paul. Acts 13. Now, this is not Paul's first message that he preached because we know very early on he went into the... And, and, and was, was speaking of Christ. So, so this is not his first message. He had probably preached many, many messages before this, but this is what I believe is the first recorded, written down, so that we could read it. Uh, it says that in uh, Acts 13, the first part, again, you can read all of this. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are where? They're in Antioch. And they go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they sit down. 
Now, verses 15 and 16 in Acts 13. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. <laughs> You've got Paul in the crowd. <laughs> Has anybody got anything to say? Say on. Verse 16. I'm sorry if that, that you know what's coming. See, we know what's coming. You see. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand. Can you get the picture? Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And Paul, I'm going to shorten it down a little bit. You, you can read it all. Don't do it right now, but later you can go back and read it. Paul gives a brief history of Israel. We're going to drop down to verse 23. Paul had, had just talked about David, the son of Jesse. <laughs> and here, so I love to, to listen to and read good sermons. I, I don't know about you, but, but, but I love to. You know, I've told you, you know, Piper and Begg and MacArthur and Sproul, Washer and Spurgeon. I, I love to read and hear good sermons. And here we have. A sermon, if I can call it that. I think I could call it that, can I? From the Apostle Paul. Beginning in verse 23. From this man's seed, and remember, he'd just been talking about David, so we're talking about the line of the tribe of David, you see. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God has raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John... This is John the Baptist. After John the first preached before his coming, before Christ's coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. He's John the Baptist saying, I'm not the Lord. I am not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, the Lord, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. You see that? They went, they said, they heard the, the reading of the law and the prophets, but they didn't hear. They, they didn't recognize Christ when he came. They didn't recognize their own Messiah. But, but they are fulfilling prophecies. Verse 28, And though they found no cause for death in him, in our Lord, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, the Lord, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, his children, in that he, the Lord, has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead. 
The Father raises the Son from the dead. No more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus. I will give you the sure mercies of David. Let me pause there for just a minute. No more to see corruption. You understand what he's talking about there, don't you? Corruption, he's talking about death and decay that comes when being placed in the grave. That's the corruption he's talking about. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. But that's not Christ. He's the creator of the dust, you see. And that's not him. The the Lord, the, the Father raises him from the dead, no longer to return to death. Raised from the dead. Verse 35. Therefore, he also says in another Psalms, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Again, talking of decay, of death in the grave. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. Dust to dust. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Again, talking of Christ. Verse 38, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, by Christ, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He's getting down to it, isn't he? Let's read that again. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, this Jesus, this Savior, this Redeemer, this Messiah, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Let me pause there for a moment. He's getting down to it, isn't he? You've heard it, but you don't believe it. You despisers. What was the reaction? You would think they're going to jump on him and start beating on him and throw him out again would would be what you would probably think, wouldn't it? But we know what happened. Verse 42. So, So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. They they begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. You believe the Holy Spirit is moving? Do you believe the Lord is speaking to these people through the message of Paul? Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. See, just just like the Pharisees that, that, that condemned Christ, the same. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Man, what a statement that is. Given 
the message from God through Paul of who Christ truly was. They rejected it. And in doing so, they have judged themselves unworthy of everlasting life. And then Paul says, Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. <laughs> 47. For the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. When had they, when, when had they been appointed to eternal life? Before time began. Before time began. There's another sermon there. and We've, we've preached along the lines of this over and over again. They were appointed before time began for eternal life. Paul presented the gospel. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. All who believe justified. Before God, Jesus Christ. Every child of God. All who are born again, born from above, justified before God. Now, let, let's talk about that for just a minute. And if you go to Thayer's, the definition you'll read is to justify, to declare or pronounce one to be innocent in the sight of a judge. Now, how is it possible that a judge can just declare someone innocent of their crimes when they are clearly guilty. If they're guilty, that's not a good judge who would just look and say, you're okay, you're okay. So let's go, who is guilty? What, what is the crime against all mankind? Sin. Let's put it down to that word, sin. Who is guilty of sin? We say it quite often. Everyone, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and what is the penalty for sin? It's death, Romans 6.23, for the wages, the cost of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if death is the punishment, could a righteous judge just release someone, pardon them from their crime? And we hear of pardons all the time. You know, at the end of every... A presidential term, there is a multitude of pardons that happen. But here, we got to go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper into the definition of being justified. And here, this, this was one from uh, the Word Study Dictionary. There is a permitting of one to bear for others their condemnation, judgment, punishment, or chastisement. So, in justification, there is a permitting of another to bear the penalty, the condemnation, the judgment, the punishment, or chastisement. The penalty must be paid, you see, but a substitute is allowed. Is this getting through? Are we understanding? I hope we do. Because, see, this is what Christ did for us. 
He was our propitiation, our payment, our ransom. He paid for us by taking our punishment. And by doing so, God the Father is a good judge, you see. Because the penalty for sin was placed upon his son, and we were purchased by him. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, you know, we, in in the, uh, one of the songs we said, one of the lyrics this morning, and I know in another song we, we, we sing, Bought by him, at such a cost, you see, purchased by him. We're not merely pardoned by a judge. Our punishment was committed or commuted to another Jesus Christ. Do we see that? We weren't just pardoned, but our punishment, my punishment, was commuted to another Jesus Christ. Born again believer, our sins were imputed to Christ. He bore our sins. Peter wrote of Christ in 1 Peter 2, verses 22 through 24, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he, and this is talking of Christ, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. And again, I, I always feel like I need to say this. Is I talking of physical healing? No. 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 It, it, it's talking of a spiritual healing, if I could say it that way. It's talking about being healed from our condition of sin. Now, can, can the Lord... Physically heal people? Yes, he can. But that's not what this is talking about. Uh, many will claim that verse, all by his stripes are healed. They'll stand over somebody that's sick and just pound that out. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about our sin. It's talking about being, being set free from sin, that, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness because of what Christ did upon the cross. In, in 1 Peter third chapter, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Christ died the atonement for sin. There had to be a payment for sin. Someone had to pay the cost, didn't they? And the payment had to be an offering of blood. The Old Testament, everything, everything that the Lord implemented back in the Old Testament was just types and shadows pointing to that which was coming in Jesus Christ. It, in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, let's read. It's been a while, I think, since we've read these verses from Hebrews. Now, Hebrews 9, verses 19 through 22. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, 
He took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. No remission of sin without the shedding of blood. So what did Christ do? What did Christ do? And if we back up in verses 11 and 12 in Hebrews 9. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, obtaining, having obtained eternal redemption. And I know I perhaps say this quite often, but do you get the picture of this? Because what happened once a year? The high priest would do what? Sacrifice a perfect lamb in accordance with the law and would take that blood where? Into the holy of holies and put it upon the mercy seat and, and asking forgiveness for the sins of the people. But now we have Jesus, our great high priest, who himself goes through the veil, who himself, our great high priest, his own blood is placed upon the mercy seat. Every time I consider that, that gets me that Christ, our high priest, gives himself as the sacrifice for sin. Uh, in Hebrews 10, verses 4 through 14, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you had prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. And again, let me pause there. He, he's saying that the things that God commanded, he took no pleasure in. And again, remember, all these things were established and put in place because they were pointing to another. They were pointing to Christ who is yet to come. Uh, verse 9, then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. I believe talking of covenants here, takes away the first, <coughs> that he may establish the second. By that will, by the will of God that he just talked about, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which could never take away sins. But this man, this Christ, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, sat down a picture of completion. It is finished, never to have to happen again. He sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Praise his holy name. The, the, the offering that Christ gave upon the cross, you see. And Hebrews 10 verses 19 and 20. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holies, holiest 
by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. See, now we have access because of Christ. Now we enter through Christ. Only one way to God the Father, and it's through Christ. No other way. No one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus provided a new and living way, a new covenant. Matthew 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Redeemed by the blood of of Christ. 1 Peter 1 verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What can wash away my sins? He's saying with me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, in 1 John, the fourth chapter, verse 10. 1 John 4 10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the payment, the ransom for our sins so that we might be reconciled to God. Let me read one more passage, and this is from Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be reconciled to the Father except through Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Again, here's the call upon Paul to go on and to preach reconciliation through Christ Jesus. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. One sent by the king 
sent ones. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He, for God the Father, made Him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus bore upon Himself sin so that all who would believe might be justified. So that all who would believe might have eternal life. So he, he became sins so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Our sins imputed to Christ in return, His righteousness imputed to us who believe. Isn't that amazing? Oh, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe this morning? I pray that you do. I, I want to read these verses another one more time because I always pray that in the midst of reading some of these verses that, that the Lord might at that moment put it all together for someone and open their eyes to see truth. So in John, the third chapter, verses 14 through 18, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must must, must the Son of Man be lifted up. The cross had to be, had to be, had to be that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is what? Condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, in this world, there are only two groups of people. Believers, unbelievers, those who are not condemned, those who are condemned already because they do not believe. So we are either justified before God or we are condemned before God. To be justified before God, one must believe. We read that almost first thing from Acts 13. All who believe are justified. Let's read Romans 10 verses 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me pause there. Saved from what? Saved. What, what is that? Saved from God's wrath that will one day fall upon all unbelievers. It's inevitable. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks for Your Word. And I pray that 
your word will stir within us. For, for those who are born again, for those who are true believers, I pray that within their soul they, they, they would say, oh, it, it's good that we remind ourselves of this. Oh, we need reminders over and over again of your goodness, over and over again of what Christ has done on our behalf. So, Father, help us to, help us to remember Christ. Help us to remember the cross. Help us to remember His body broken, His blood shed. Help us to never forget the awesome cost for our salvation. And Lord, should there be someone in the hearing of this message who is yet lost, and, and, and Lord, we understand that, that they don't even know it, that the, the message of the cross is foolishness to them, it's just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. But Lord, when You intervene, when by the power of the Spirit and the truth of Your Word, You resurrect someone from the dead and their eyes are opened to see You, Lord, in the light of Your holiness and in light of their sin, Lord, we cannot stand. We fall before You recognizing our sin. And I pray, Lord, that you, at that moment, you grant faith to believe, that, that, that you grant repentance from sin. Oh, Lord, that they would believe and repent and turn and follow you forevermore. So, Father, help us all that we would might do that to follow you, to follow Christ. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.